We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Projecting the rookie QB offenses. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretschonsubstack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, I'm working through projections. I know you've wanted to, to chat with me about them, and we were kind of talking before. And one of the sort of subsets of projections this year that's been the most difficult for me has been these offenses with the rookie QBs, but a couple of them I found kind of some interesting notes or certainly distilled. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty always, right? Uh, there's uncertainty with all of projections, but a lot of uncertainty with rookie quarterback-driven offenses. Um, and yet, you know, often a little bit of pessimism too because we're you know not always seeing offenses with rookie quarterbacks be immediately among the, the most productive in the league. But as I went through these, I did feel like I found things to sort of, within that uncertainty of what these offenses might be, things to sort of distill some of my takes. So kind of interested to get your thoughts on where you're landing with them as well. They are priced in a way, these offenses, and I'm mostly talking about the Colts, Panthers, and Texans, all who are likely to be starting a, a quarterback that was drafted in the first four picks of the 2023 draft. We might also hit on the Texans, uh, excuse me, the Titans a little bit. Will Levis, obviously an early second round pick, the, the Titans grabbing him. And then the discussion between Ryan Tannehill and what they might do. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested to get your thoughts as well, because all of these offenses are priced in a way that if one of them is really productive, one of these offenses generally, um, there's the potential for, you know, a big hit. And a couple of years ago, we were talking about the rookie QBs and also last year, Sean, talking about the rookie QBs as potentially being a, an interesting way to play in you know, various formats. I think last year we were more focused on getting guys like Ritter and Howell in some dynasty drafts. And I'm glad that I have them stashed in some, you know, super flex formats as they're hopefully going to both be starting this year. The year prior, you know, we're looking at Fields and Lance and, and Lawrence as guys that maybe were a big part of the, um, the redraft equation right away. So this 2023 rookie QB class, it's an interesting one. What it means for these offenses, it will be a really interesting thing to talk through. But yeah, how you doing? How you doing today? Good, good. I, uh, I'm i excited for this. These are three offenses that we don't necessarily chat about a ton because we're not necessarily targeting them. And it's great to go through this exercise of looking at the projections and where there might be holes in our thinking where there might be players who, you know, maybe the price is a little bit more exploitable than we're thinking in part, because I mean, we wouldn't expect these three teams to light up the scoreboard at least in 2023. And I just had a lot of fun been doing an article looking at breakout QBs and looking at quarterbacks in the first sort of three years and what they did in terms of win rates for best ball. We don't tend to think in terms of, breakouts being a qb thing quite as much as it is a wider receiver thing for sure and then obviously you do have either breakout or contingent value with running backs but it's actually very relevant i think with qbs and now that the qb drafting is such a big part of best ball it's imperative that drafters think about this more than maybe they have in the past and 
One of the things that I found that was interesting is that rookie QB win rates are not particularly good. They're not bad, but they're not particularly good. And the hybrid QB win rates are only slightly better than the pass-oriented QB win rates, despite the fact that in the past, these hybrid QBs have not been particularly expensive, whereas obviously Anthony Richardson is this season. And so, yeah, there's, there's so much great information to dive into here and we should probably start with the headliner anthony richardson the third of the qbs drafted we go in thinking that bryce young and cj stroud we covered them a lot in our road of his rookie guide both of these guys fantastic passing profiles but the person who's just been impossible to ignore after the combine you have anthony richardson as like one of the greatest athletes in the nfl instantly and i mean hybrid qb play the rushing value that you get from QBs. I mean, that's what fantasy is about now. And so that's what everybody is interested in. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about with his profile, going back to the off season to get anyone up to speed who maybe uh, doesn't remember these notes. I don't have the exact stats right in front of me, but that his rushing numbers weren't gaudy in, in college. They weren't massive. He didn't take a lot of sacks and in college you actually, um, the, the official stats count those as negative rushing yards. So especially if you control for yardage lost on sacks, uh, you know, the, the one comparison I know we made a little bit with Sam Howell, and then I've seen people talk about that. Howell, not particularly athletic, but in his final season in college, ran for over 800 yards. If you remove his yardage lost for sacks, because that is a problem area for Sam Howell, potentially, he was over like 1,100 yards on actual rushing plays, the way that the NFL would would – uh, you know, add that up and 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 count it as official stats. Uh, for Richardson, he was only over what was it like six hundred? He was in the six hundred to seven hundred sort of bucketing between hundred yard groups. I think he was in the six hundred to seven hundred group for his third and final season. He didn't play a ton the other two years, um, but he did have in seven games in twenty twenty one. He had four hundred yards, and then. In 12 games in 2022, he had 654. So he's actually like more yardage per game, I think, in that uh, 2021 season. Still not huge numbers. And then if you if you back out the lost yardage due to sacks, that 654 number doesn't actually get that much bigger is sort of the point I'm making. So when you look at the design runs, you look at the scrambles, there's not actually a, as much rushing production as there should be in college when you're that good of an athlete, right? You would think so. And again, it's not to say that this is going to define what he does as an NFL player, because I don't think that it will. But we do want to have some context. And when we think about a Cam Newton or a Lamar Jackson, or even a Jalen Hurts, who you're going to mention here in a moment, because he's very relevant due to the coaching that both players either have had or are going to now get. Hurts, in his final season at Oklahoma, goes for 12, 98, and 20. And that's far below even what Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson did, where Lamar Jackson's numbers, I mean, Lamar Jackson was a better college runner than Saquon Barkley, right? So you're talking about very different production levels in college. Doesn't necessarily mean that's what we're going to see in the NFL. And it's pretty interesting here. The other little note, you talked about the sack element. And I think this is interesting in terms of what you're about to kind of fill us in on, but Richardson, 103 rush attempts last year. When I'm looking at his Sports Info Solutions data, it appears that he had 46 dropbacks that did not turn into passing attempts. So that's approximately the balance that you got with him last year in terms of what you might consider more designed run types of plays where he's the ball carrier versus dropbacks where he scrambles and something else happens at that point. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the thing you were alluding to on Richardson was just something I thought was interesting in digging into my projections. Um, and looking at, at Shane Steichen, the new offensive or the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He was previously the offensive coordinator with the Eagles for two years. Prior to that was with the Chargers for several years. Uh, that dates back to Philip Rivers years. Um, he was quarterback's coach. Uh, offensive quality control with the Chargers starting in 2014. Quarterback's coach starting in 2016. 
interim offensive coordinator in 2019. And then he's the full offensive coordinator for the first time in 2020. That winds up being Justin Herbert's rookie season. And we know Tyrod Taylor started uh, the first game, first couple games. And then he had the unfortunate mishap with the team doctor, the punctured lung. Herbert starts 15 games that season, it looks like. Uh, has a really good rookie season, a big part of that, and it was really notable for fantasy if, for anyone who was you know re- remembers that year. A big part of that is the Chargers run more plays than any team in the NFL that season, which is a rare feat for a rookie quarterback offense. Uh, then Steichen goes on to Philadelphia in 2021, and he's the offensive coordinator for Jalen Hurts' first full season as the starter. And that year, the Eagles were right around league average, like almost exactly. They were 1.5 plays for the entire season below the league average. So basically, right, they were the, the closest team to the league average play volume rate. And then last year, they're up to fifth in total plays and playing fast, high no huddle rate. And Jalen Hurts, a little bit more stylistically like Anthony Richardson. Obviously, a mobile quarterback. One of the interesting notes about his year last year was he led the NFL in designed runs uh, among quarterbacks by a good margin, by about like 35 or something like that, over Justin Fields, who played the same number of games as him. Lamar Jackson was just behind Fields, played a few fewer games. So Jackson, in terms of design runs per, per game, probably similar to Hertz. But the main point I'm making is, that Steichen's offense certainly included designed runs for the quarterback, for Jalen Hurts. It also was reasonably fast both seasons with Hurts and with Herbert as a rookie. Again, was the, the fastest offense in the league. So the way I had been looking at this offense was, okay, we have a a rookie quarterback who's coming in in Richardson who doesn't have a huge track record, didn't play a ton of college football, is an athlete maybe more than a passer. I think there's been some discussion that, um, you know, I don't want to fall into any tropes or anything, but I know that there's been some discussion that certainly his accuracy numbers did not grade as well as the other top quarterbacks in this draft and some discussion that maybe he needs more time to develop as a passer. And so my perspective of a rookie is not, not to like necessarily limit him, but that, you know, in fantasy we want to see really, exciting outcomes and we can see his athleticism. We can see that he's, you know, going to be able to outrun players, even at the NFL level and be more athletic than players, even at the NFL level, though it does get a lot trickier when every player is an NFL athlete, as opposed to in college. But the question becomes, is this offense going to be really interesting right away? And my, my initial thought was, okay, they're going to call it run heavy. They're going to do QB design runs. They're going to keep the clock moving, have a pretty heavy run lean, and probably play pretty slow because the clock is moving. But those up-tempo, uh, those no-huddle rates and the, and the up-tempo part of Shane Steichen's history got me to project them pretty close ultimately to league average play volume. I had I had thought that they would be close to like the bottom of the league in play volume, basically. Talking about a rookie quarterback, probably not an efficient offense. Efficient offense to stay on the field and run more plays. So it's the worst offenses that run fewer plays. And mobile quarterbacks or run-heavy teams that keep the clock running tend to run fewer plays. And so my expectation coming in was like, okay, this looks like a team. And they're also probably going to play slow because they're not going to trust a rookie to play fast. Rookie rookie quarterbacks, I tend to project a little bit slower, maybe half a play per game slower just because it's a rookie. Maybe by the second half of the season, I'll expect their their coach to trust them more. But there's going to be a part of this year where they're going to, you know, their coach is going to want them to slow down and, and do things a certain way. And so this looked like a not very interesting offense until those Shane Steichen notes were now I'm like, I mean, I don't think they're going to be the fastest offense in the league, but if they're, you know, league average, like they were for Jalen Hurts first season as a full-time starter in 2021, like if that's the number, that still makes them pretty interesting. And it makes them interesting in a few different ways. It definitely does. And thinking through, you know, what you're saying there about the extremely high number of design runs that Jalen Hurts had last season you go back to what Richardson did in college and if they feel comfortable with his ability as a runner, and if they don't, then I mean, you're very quickly starting to feel like this is a miss as a pick because you have to have that as at least a starting point to unlock the rest of the game for Richardson. But he could see a lot more design runs at the NFL level than he did with these kind of disappointing numbers 
for Florida. Granted, NFL seasons have more games than college seasons do, but even when you you know kind of work through that, you could see a pretty decent number of design runs. And so then my question for you would be, what does that mean for Michael Pittman? What does it mean for Jonathan Taylor? Jonathan Taylor, especially a very interesting player and a very controversial player. I think that people are overlooking and it's easy for to forget just how good he was in 2021. He's so inexpensive this year. And so part of that is that he did not impress last season within the context of a bad offense, and then he got hurt. And so you're dealing with both of those elements. And then the second part is, you know, what does it mean for him to be in this offense where you have a quarterback who probably isn't going to pass the ball to the running back a ton and may vulture some green zone touches, but at the same time, especially if you have confidence in the play caller, it's going to be very difficult to account for both guys. Yeah, and one of the big things we saw in the Eagles offense the last two years was really high rushing efficiency from the running backs. That trend that we talk about a lot of the quarterback being a mobile quarterback impacting the running back rushing efficiency, there's probably grades of that, right? Variations of that. And in an offense that's willing to call a high number of quarterback design runs, my guess is the defensive coordinators are teaching their edge guys. They have to stay put even more against that offense than on another team that's showing it a lot, but not necessarily always pulling it. Like one of the teams we talked about was uh, the Giants and Daniel Jones ended up having a really high design run rate, but I think they kind of showed it with Daniel Jones more than they actually went with it. And then sometimes when they went with it, he would, he'd be like wide open. I remember like a breakdown last year. I think it was Dan Orlovsky did a really interesting breakdown where they ran the same like, you know, power run three or four times in a row. And then they finally had Jones pull it and there was no one there. And, it was so well-designed how it set up for like a 15, 20-yard run where he was untouched. Defenses are not going to worry so much about Daniel Jones when, you know, mostly it's Saquon. And But in the Eagles system where Hertz is, you know, leading the league in design runs and doing that as much as he is, I, I think, as you're describing, the defense has to account for both. And, again, I'm basically saying there's, there's grades gradients of this, and that's a really extreme gradient of it where – yeah, you definitely have to account for the quarterback running constantly. Now, Hertz is another guy, really great rushing production in college, better than Anthony Richardson. And so maybe that's an element where like we have to give Hertz his, you know, his flowers and his due from just being that good of a runner himself. But if Richardson can at least with his athleticism threaten, and if they do at least enough design running with him, and then if this team's willing to play up tempo and, and play a little bit faster than it seems even if they are running at a high rate, if they're able to get close to league average plays, I mean, I just that all opens things up for Taylor in such a big way. It's a positive for Richardson and his stats as well. But Sean, as you were saying, like I think people really do forget how good Taylor was in 2021. He's still in his prime, still in a year that we would expect him to be, you know, one of his better years of his career. But what we saw in 2021 was good enough that even going into last year, you know, there were some concerns about projecting his receiving volume, you know, as big. And there were a lot of people that were saying, like, it's tough to take him in the top five just from a pure projection standpoint. And yet the market still wanted to take him there. He was one of the players the market was buying from a talent perspective. And this year, the market doesn't want to buy him from a talent perspective, despite the fact that his rushing situation, because of the Richardson mobility thing, not just arguably, like, going into the year, I think, arguably got better. The, looking at the way that last year played out with Matt Ryan not being able to throw the ball 10 yards down the field in the way that teams could then just basically stack against Jonathan Taylor. And also Matt Ryan had no mobility, you know, threat. I mean, it's, it, it's massively better than what he had to deal with in the running situation he had to deal with last year, right away from day one, even though he has a rookie quarterback, but it's, it's essentially inarguable in the way that the game is played. And then there's another element, Sean, we were talking about a little bit, but like Richardson, is at least a little bit of a risk to not play every game all year. And this is one of the things that's been hard for me to figure out how much exposure to get of him because I do want some. He certainly has a type of profile, like we talked about with Trey Lance last year, that can break fantasy football scoring, essentially. But that's why his price is a little more expensive than some of these guys have been in the past, as you mentioned. But he also has risks. There's a big risk about his accuracy. There's elements of this where he may not be ready. He may be viewed as more of a multi-year projection, it could be a little bit like Trey Lance two years ago as a rookie who was getting drafted pretty high because of the potential 
of his profile to lead to really strong fantasy scoring. He could run for a thousand yards, etc. But then Lance doesn't even really play at all that year, right? And then last year he was going to be the starter. He breaks his leg, hasn't really played much in two years. But Richardson might be looking more like that Lance rookie season. It's at least possible. They have a very competent backup in Gardner Minshew, probably one of the more competent backups in the entire NFL. Minshew knows the offense, having been the backup with the Eagles the last couple of years where Shane Steichen comes over from. So you have familiarity there. And if Minshew does play some, there's this whole other path for Taylor, which Minshew has tended to carry high running back target rates. He also knows the offense. And if Steichen does these trends I talked about the last three years tended to be an above average tempo team. If Steichen does want to play fast and maybe it's, you know, there's some concern about Richardson holding the offense back that's baked into the market. But if Minshew plays a decent chunk of the season, I would actually expect that he'd be willing to play fast with Minshew, a, a backup quarterback that knows the offense. And you might get a, just a massive shift in the way the offense looks where Minshew would, would greatly increase the overall pass attempts. Cause you're not going to have, he's a little bit mobile, but you're not going to have nearly as much, QB running, you might have a ton more called pass plays. It could be a massive shift, and I think it would be particularly positive for – I mean, it would be a big positive for Michael Pittman, I think, and, and I think probably his best outcomes this year do include Gardner Minshew playing a lot. And then I think it would be a positive for Jonathan Taylor's receiving. But when Richardson's in, I mean, Jonathan Taylor looks like he can have a 2,000-yard rushing season as well. So I think you start to look at the various ways in a projection – the various ways a season could play out, you know, you're ultimately projecting one outcome and I'm projecting Richardson as a QB and I'm projecting it a certain way. But when I do this research into projections, I'm thinking through all the contingency based scenarios that we're constantly talking about. And that's one, if Richardson were to miss time or if he were to get benched, that's one where I think with the pace stuff that I saw with Steichen with Minshew being a competent backup, one of the better ones around the league, that I can see this offense having a lot of potential to actually be really exciting, be above average in play volume, and you know throwing enough that you're racking up a lot of running back receptions, high-value touches that we love in the backfield. It would be great for Taylor. And also like guys like Michael Pittman could have some real ceiling. I love the mention of Gardner Minshew there. He was actually someone who factored into this article that I just completed because I was trying to look in addition to – the first rounders, which is what the main part of the article is about. But these guys who were later picks who earned a starting job for year two and how did they score? And there obviously aren't that many of them. Jalen Hurts is one of them. But Minshew goes and plays in that second season for the Jaguars. And we tend to forget about that a little bit because he suffers an injury and their reality win-loss record was poor. And yet his fantasy performance was fantastic. And all we have to do, again, you mentioned how he's got this experience in the offense. They had the game last season where Hertz is out and they are engaged in a massive shootout with the Dallas Cowboys where he plays well. One of the elements, and I'm not discounting the Jacoby Brissett-Sam Howell battle at all because I think that Jacoby Brissett is good. But I also think that the gap between Richardson and Minshew is probably less than the gap between Howell and Brissett. And also the thing that you talked about where it's like, when are they going to play? And one of the things that was somewhat surprising to me, and this is something where I think the NFL has shifted, but when I was looking at rookie results for the hybrid QBs, they didn't play as much and play as early as you might've expected, even when those guys were much better prospects than Anthony Richardson. And so there is a possibility that you kind of see a split season. And so for me, Gardner Minshew has become someone where He's not a priority in super flex drafts, but if I get stuck, because I do like to take some risks in super flex, you can build such fun teams if you do. If I take risks and I miss, then he's somebody who in the last round becomes a little bit interesting for these reasons that you are articulating. So both him individually and then what the downstream effect would be for Taylor and Pittman yeah, I find that part fascinating, especially, as you mentioned, with the play volume elements. I do want to ask you about Michael Pittman because he's somebody who was very trendy last season. And then, and we were out on him, but I don't know that you can, I mean, and we were technically right. I don't know that 
you you get to see the full thing. One of the ar arguments was that Matt Ryan is not going to be able to support that, which did turn out to be a key part of it. So we were right in that part as well. But I don't know that we necessarily are getting a clear view of Pittman as a talent. But he's dropped a wide receiver 32. The other part that's interesting, and I would wonder you know, how it factors into your projections, is that he was not a guy, especially for someone who was supposed to be an alpha and was, you know, again, a very hyped receiver last season. His targets on passes that went more than 15 yards in the air were very low for what you expect his overall volume to be. So that wasn't a big part of his game. Well, Matt Ryan's arm was completely done, <laughs> so that doesn't factor in as much. One of the things that people note with Richardson is that even though his underneath and intermediate accuracy I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. But, you know, maybe something for a player who actually hasn't played that much. Maybe you see a big jump, even though it has to take place at the NFL level. Maybe you see a big jump. But people do like some of the things he can do on deep balls, and yet that doesn't seem like a great fit for Pittman. How are you looking at Pittman's volume and profile? And I know that you're still working through the entirety of the projections, and we're not doing rankings here, but just big picture are you comfortable with him around wide receiver 32 i have not been but i i mean i have not been drafting him is the easy way to say it but i see obvious scenarios where he could beat that and so then i typically in those situations and, and the most obvious one being the garden Minshew plays a lot i think that typically in those scenarios the the bet can be worth making it just sort of depends on cost right and yeah, I mean, I think for me with Pittman, a, a lot of what you said I completely agree with. He, he was a little bit better down the field the year prior. I guess, what was it, River, uh, Carson Wentz uh, at quarterback. He made some more plays at higher uh, air yards, you know, depths of, 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 of target, if you will. But, yeah, I mean, I look at it as a pretty clear delineation with him where if Richardson's in at quarterback, I probably don't like him at this price. If Minshew's in, I actually probably do like him at this price. Like if we knew Minshew was starting the whole year, I probably like taking Pittman at this price. I do see him as, you know, his best path forward uh, as as being more of a volume play, and there being legitimate volume concerns here. And then, as you said, like Richardson can throw downfield, and he's you know mobile, going to be able to extend the play. So if I do take Richardson, I like to stack him with like an Alec Pierce, who's you know a little bit more vertical and might be the one who correlates more with a spike in Richardson's passing on a given week because he caught a 50-yard touchdown, right? Or, you know, you get these, like, spike play downfield scenarios. I'm not sure if that's, like, the obvious way to do it, but that's a way I've sort of simplified Pittman in my head. But, yeah, I mean, thinking through that this offense could be one that has a lot of play volume and also the potential for Minshew to play part of the year certainly has got me more interested in Pittman. It makes – for a projection that has more overall passes. And I think I could miss low in my projection where it could have even more passes. One of two ways. I'm still projecting this offense to be slightly below average in total plays, even though I mentioned Steichen's history, because I do think, I mean, every situation is unique and Richardson is going to be probably one that is brought along a little bit more slowly than some of those other quarterbacks I mentioned. But there, I think there's potential for me to miss in, in the play volume category where they do wind up above average in play volume. They do play fast, even though, you know, even if Richardson's having troubles, that Steichen's just this kind of coach that's like, look, I mean, he's fun. He's what we want coaches to be. Look, we're going to let you learn on the fly. We're going to let you learn by playing fast and doing the things that we think are successful. doesn't matter if you're unsuccessful, Adam. We're not going to hide you by, you know, telling you to run the, the play clock way down. We want you to just be aggressive. You lose, you lose, you know, or if we lose as a team, we lose. If you make mistakes, you make mistakes, but we're going to play quick. And so you can miss on that end. And then obviously the Minshew outcome as well is the other way you can miss on the play volume or the, or the pass volume. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're an interesting offense in that before I did the projection, I would have, I would have classified myself as not being very interested. The player I probably would have, well, the two players I would have been most interested in are Jonathan Taylor and then, probably Richardson, but not really very interested in a lot of his past receivers, but willing to play him some. But that makes him tougher to play in best ball, maybe more of a managed league, want to get some exposure to him where if he doesn't work, I can pick up a quarterback off waivers and I, I'm not sort of committing a certain amount of overall, like he could be the only quarterback you draft in a managed league. 
So you don't have to overcommit on the quarterback draft capital necessarily just by taking him. You don't have to stack him and managed. There are, you know, various ways to kind of play that out. But yeah, after doing the projection, I mean, sort of similar to what I was describing with Pittman, it's been part of the reasons I've been part of the reason I've been out on Josh Downs as well as sort of, you know, pretty clear slot guy, somebody who needs volume. But Downs is another one where, like, if Minshew plays the second half of the season for some reason, Downs has a pretty nice profile. Like, if you want to say who's going to be this year's Amon Ross St. Brown second half of the rookie season earns a ton of volume, I'm not saying Josh Downs is Amon Ross St. Brown, but, like, if Minshew's playing quarterback, I think there's, like, there are scenarios where we can see Josh Downs wind up being a, a big part of the late season story, maybe not to the same level as, you know, St. Brown. We make these comparisons. We're not saying they're going to be exactly like that, obviously. But there's a, you know, I always talk about when, when I do these projections, there's sort of a multiverse element where it's like, yeah, this is the one outcome that I'm projecting, but I'm doing so much research that I, I want to think through all the contingent outcomes. And when I think through this team particularly, I feel like the contingent outcomes are very wide. And a lot of them are more favorable than I thought they were. That's really interesting and important to think about there. I like that. I think Anthony Richardson at QB 11 and the early ninth and underdog still for me is very problematic. And yet at the same time, I mean, you were talking about how it's tricky to stack him with the weapons, but maybe if you draft a bunch of receivers early who are elite receivers and their quarterbacks are also drafted early and you get wiped out of those and you're looking for sort of an unstacked QB play to complement star receivers for whom you're not going to be able to get the qb that would maybe be an interesting way to do it the other thing is when we think about this it would seemingly make more sense for someone like richardson who has the sky high ceiling eventually but probably needs some practice to sit whereas it probably made sense or at least at this time of the offseason you would think someone like a patrick mahomes or a deshaun watson or a Tua, that those guys are going to be able to start right away based on just you know how good they were coming in, and they didn't. But yet we also have to listen to what the team is telling us. And even though there have been some reports that Minshew looks good, he's been a great leader, people love how he knows the offense, he could start. I mean, the team is, is giving us signals that it's going to be Richardson. They're not coming out there and doing the things that these other teams did and say, look, it doesn't really matter who the better player is. We're going to make sure we ultra-protect our guy by not putting him out there before he's ready. So we could get you know, a full season from Anthony Richardson, in which case he becomes an interesting option. Before we move on, though, but the really fascinating thing about that is just thinking through, even if he starts week one, I guess the comparison I would make is like Justin Fields. Like the Bears made a decision this offseason to trade the number one pick and commit to Justin Fields. If Justin Fields plays poorly this season, he's still going to start the whole year. I don't see really much risk at all of him being benched. With Richardson, even if he starts week one, if he's struggling by week four or five, every week the discussions are going to be, hey, should we sit him down for a little bit? And they might not sit him down for a long time. It's sort of that anti-fragile play where like everything's going to tend to break his way, even if he's not playing well. They might go to Minshew in week five, and if Minshew has a bad game, they're going to go, okay, we're ready to go right back to, to Richardson. They, the Jets did this a little bit with Zach Wilson last year where they made every excuse they could to play him because they had so much draft capital tied up in him, and they wanted to know what they had. And then they found out they didn't have anything, and they were able this offseason to then move on to Aaron Rodgers. And I think that made some sense from an organizational standpoint. The Colts are going to be in a position to do similar, yet they're only in year one. You know, the, the, the Zach Wilson comp would be more like a year two thing if he was still struggling. The Fields comp would be that, you know, I look at the Bears' offense, I don't see a lot of scenarios where Fields gets benched and suddenly they throw a lot more passes. They have to throw more passes with Fields, which is maybe possible. Um, don't want to get into a whole discussion there, but Richardson, even if he starts week one, I think is going to have less certainty to play all season than like a fields, maybe more than, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's important to, to think through that as well, where if he's struggling, they might decide to sit him down for a period. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the Colts, an interesting offense, a fun offense. I'm excited to see what they do. I mean, this should be a, a team that, you know, barring it just the worst case outcome, this should be must watch football in the fall. The other two quarterbacks come in as potentially elite passers, at least at some point. One of the things that I dived into in quite a bit of detail in my breakout QB article were the weapons that the receivers had and the weapons that the quarterbacks had. And one of the things that we tend to think is that the stars are so good. The QBs who are going to become legends are so good that the receivers don't matter. And I think you get to a point later on where there's more truth to that. We saw Patrick Mahomes obviously flourish last season with very poor receiver play. Now you have Travis Kelsey. So maybe that completely addresses what you need there. But the kind of shocking thing is just how much weapons did seem to make a difference in terms of how quickly the person emerged and in cases where you had a guy who would become a star and they struggled early that it was when the weapon was added that the guy then launches himself and so even though we're looking at that sort of from a qualitative perspective i want to like bryce young he is a really exciting prospect I want to like CJ Stroud, who I think is probably a better prospect than people think. And and a lot of people think he's pretty good. And yet, when you look at what they're surrounded by, you you just have a lot of questions. And before the show, you said to me, he's like, I just, I don't know where these guys are going to get their passing volume from. And then certainly the efficiency with that, because I mean, they don't have guys to go to. So how bad is it when we're looking at, let's start with Bryce Young how bad is it when we're looking at this Carolina passing attack? What are you thinking in terms of their team identity? And then how that then manifests with the receiving core they have? Yeah, I mean, it's really bad in Carolina. Their pass, their receiving core is poorly put together. Adam Thielen is sort of the biggest name that comes over as a veteran free agent. But he's more of a name than anything right now. He had been falling off for a couple of years and kind of holding on just by his um, his touchdown rate over the last several years, but really fell off in 2022. And maybe, you know, sometimes when we see this big of a drop off, it's like an injury and there's some room for bounce back. But so in his best seasons, uh, you go back to like the per route stuff. You go back to um, 2016, 2017, 2018. He has a 1.94, 2.33, 2.10 yards per route run. Those are his three best of his career, sort of his breakout years. The first of those years, more on the efficiency side. The next two years, he gets his targets per route run up into a really healthy range, up over 24%, 24.6% in 2017, 22.7 in 2018. The next two years, 2019, 2020, Falls back a little bit, but he's still efficient, and he's right around 21% targets per out run. That's still, like, he's still fine. He's still good. In 2021, it falls to 19.3% targets per out run, so we're starting to see a little bit of a drop-off. Yards per target still solid. The after-the-target efficiency is still solid. Yards per out run falls to 1.63. In 2019-2020, it was 1.86 both years. Starting to see some fall-off, though, from the two-plus yards per out run. It falls from 1.63 in 2021 to 1.06 last year. He runs a career-high 674 routes. One of the big things with Minnesota last year is they played a bunch of those crazy games. So he runs a massive number of routes, and that kind of helps cover it up as well. But his per-route run stuff is just atrocious. His targets per route run falls all the way to 15.3%, four percentage points from his 2021 number that had already started to fall from those peak numbers. His yards per target is also a career low and really inefficient. You're talking about 
you know, we when we talk about age with these types of players, there's some players that we talked about this offseason that we're still interested in that are getting up there in age. Guys like Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hawkins, a lot of those ones are ones who came in with really interesting prospect profiles to start, were good to start. They're really, really great receivers, frankly, over their whole careers. You know, when they're healthy, these guys are the, kind of the cream of the crop, and we tend to see really great players sometimes beat that age curve. Adam Thielen, to me, had some great seasons, but he's a guy who was a small school guy, unheralded, worked his way into playing at a really high level for a while. But, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising if he maybe didn't have the longevity just from – this guy wasn't necessarily always expected to be this great, and it's it's cool how good he was for a long time. But that 2022 is really concerning. Now, maybe he has a bounce back. Maybe he does have a good year with Carolina. Maybe he was banged up last year. There are some things to say, but it's not a bet you want to make because the age curve can turn into an age cliff, and he looks like a guy who probably already went over the age cliff. And now you're talking about him as the wide receiver one, basically. The other really big name that gets brought up. Go ahead. Two, I mean, there's a very real chance he doesn't even start. I mean, at least as the season goes along. Because as you've been describing him there, and you look at that profile, it's one that's completely washed. And they have some young guys who you also wouldn't really want, but yet – if there is upside in the offense, it almost certainly comes from them. And then you have, again, you mentioned he's just a name. He's just a name who the target volume could very easily go to zero for a big chunk of this season. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. And then the other one I was going to say that whose ADP is just as high as Jonathan Mingo, you say, okay, well, the rookie is one that's really interesting to buy into. But, Jen, Sean, you would you should go through the profile here more than me. But, like, what basically didn't do anything until senior year, right? I mean, he's an athlete, but more of a projection uh, – at least he has athleticism. And so he's sort of reminiscent of like Chase Claypool's profile, right? And you're kind of nodding along for the listeners. They basically did nothing until he was a senior in college. And so we do have a few guys that we like, you know, with that type of profile, guys who make it. And you think about some names like, you know, in terms of freak score type of player, DJ Chark, another player on this roster, you have some Marquez Valdez Scantling element to it. I mean, Mingo is somebody who in year three, year four, if they're sticking on an NFL roster and, you know, are a solid wide receiver two, or preferably maybe a wide receiver three, that I don't think surprises you. Now with Claypool, we actually got some big scores before teams adjusted a little bit. And before maybe some of the, I don't want to say personality exactly, but maybe some of the things that had caused him some trouble in the past started to rear their head again, and he kind of goes away. So I don't know that we necessarily know when this type of prospect is going to hit. If they do, there could be some flashes. You sort of expect them to stick with this type of size and athleticism, especially with the bet that the Panthers have made on him. And now we're getting these reports that, oh, he looks fantastic in camp, you know, their mini camp, what have you. So, I mean, I can understand why drafters would want to bet on that. If you like Bryce Young and you're saying that the volume has to go somewhere, and we just made the argument that maybe very little of it will go to Thielen. So I can understand that. And yet he's still kind of valued in that range where maybe the downside isn't being factored in, unless you think that the upside is just, to be Claypool and then consolidate that. And so I guess I would just say that the prospect profile is not one that we would expect to be an impact as a rookie, and yet he's being put in the situation where there's a lot expected of him to make this offense work. Yeah, I I mean, that's what I'm saying. When I look at um, the Thielen thing, and yeah, as you talked about, he could wind up even on the bench, but yeah, he's probably running a lot of routes. Then I'm kind of looking at the other guys in the offense, and I'm like, oh, I'm more interested in them because they're not really competing with a star for targets. They're maybe competing with somebody who's a little bit washed up, but who's out there running routes and can actually mean they could consolidate more. But Mingo, the main point, as you just described that, is like that's not a rookie profile that we would bet to do that necessarily. I mean, it's sort of like the exact opposite of that type of profile. If it was 
you know, a Marvin Mims or somebody, I would be really interested in this situation. It would be fantastic. But Mingo is an athlete who's probably, you know, maybe his floor is a little higher. Like you said, we wouldn't be surprised if he was a wide receiver three and still playing a few years down the road because he has the athleticism for that to, 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 to play at the NFL level. But maybe the the ceiling of, of big statistical seasons isn't, you know, he's sort of a high floor, low ceiling type with the athleticism playing, but the production not following in the college level. And that this outcome here, the where he lands, it's like, man, we just want someone who has this really high ceiling to have a monster year. It's maybe still there. He's maybe still worth the bets just because there's not a lot to compete with. But he's a tough one. He's a tough rookie profile to bank on even though we love to, to bank on any rookies we can bank on, basically, whenever we get a chance to. Uh, DJ Chark is interesting, kind of a high A dot guy, probably not a huge target consolidator either, but interesting, has had a 1,000-yard season at the NFL level. Terrace Marshall was a really interesting prospect, but had like the type of rookie season that you don't often see guys come back from. We talk about this, that, yeah, it's just one year. Yeah, it's just his rookie year, and yeah, it was a really – Bad situation it was a situation where even DJ Moore's efficiency cratered. Everyone in that pass offense was terrible in 2021. But usually, when when a guy is as bad as Marshall was in 2021, you kind of can write him off. Honestly, the thing about 2022 is Marshall did come back enough and show not just an ability to earn more volume per route, but also efficiency on top of that. A lot of improvement in his 2022 profile in a way that. I don't think you can write him off yet, basically, is where I got to after last year. Is like he got back onto the map after the 2021 that was rough. And we do know that he has a you know an interesting profile going back to college where he played at LSU alongside Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And obviously that has implications on his, you know, his production. Those are the two best NFL receivers uh today. Marshall, therefore, for me, still sort of interesting going into year three, but not really a profile you want to be betting heavily on. Visca is still there. LaVisca Chenault, we've always liked him, but not probably a profile you want to be betting on going into year four after his first three seasons. There's And then Hayden Hurst is their new tight end. They still have Ian Thomas, Tommy Tremble. These are not tight ends that you want to be betting on. Miles Sanders, I know a lot of people have talked about maybe he'll catch more passes there, but not really one that from a receiving perspective, you expect him to be an elite receiving back. There's, I mean, it's not a receiving core. I mean, if Adam Thielen was a veteran that you could talk yourself into not already having gone over that age cliff, uh, if Jonathan Mingo was a different type of rookie, you can make cases for this being interesting. I think DJ Chark and Marshall, for example, and even Visca maybe are interesting additional pieces in a passing game, but there's just nothing here in terms of something you can feel like you can bank on for Bryce Young in year one. I do think Frank Reich's a good coach. I've said that on the show a lot of times. I think he, I've always sort of, uh, you know, admired him for how he fits his tendencies to his offense. I, I do think he he's going to let Bryce Young, you know, do what he can do, what he can handle and play it well for Bryce Young. I mean, this is one of those types of teams that for a rookie quarterback offense might get faster pace later in the year because that's something that Bryce Young should be capable of handling. But, I mean, you got to have something on the receiving end, as you were talking about, and it's just it's just concerning for me looking at it. It's interesting there to hear you go through, and I think that for me the thing that jumps out is that if you're going to rely on Thielen and Chark, then you're going nowhere. But there are – some scenarios where other guys emerge and you mentioned marshall he's the other player who has generated a little bit of buzz from their camp type of activities their off-season workouts and if he were to take another step forward and mingo were to be even if it's sort of a inconsistent but like solid in terms of inconsistently giving you big plays i mean that kind of thing would be interesting especially if you then have any little mini breakout from chanel so the thing that you start to think about is that there are actually a lot of different ways that it could work. The problem for me is that because they have made these veteran additions, they're almost locked into forcing those guys at the beginning and creating a very low ceiling for this team. And by the time that Young is able to elevate Mingo and Marshall in a dream world, Chenault, 
I mean, you've moved deep enough into the season that from a fantasy perspective, if you're in redraft, maybe you've already moved away from those guys. If you're in best ball, maybe you've already damaged your playoff advance. Yeah. And so the thing that jumps out to me and the guy that I now have ranked as an interesting player, and I think it's especially relevant because it's hard to find receivers in the last round where you really feel like there's upside is that I think that Marshall is an interesting round 18 pick. When you have done your projections here, I mean, how are you splitting out the target shares or how are you splitting out the target volume? What do you see as the pecking order here? Yeah, I went more aggressive in sort of bringing down the highest of the target shares. Then probably, I think think this is going to be my lowest whatever you want to say, wide receiver one or pass catcher one, because it can be the tight end on some teams, the lowest, highest target share for any roster, right? Like, so whoever is the leader of, of targets, I have DJ Chark has a 16% target share leading this offense. I've, I've nuked Adam Thielen all the way down to 15 and a half percent, probably would project him higher. If not for what we just talked about, where if he's actually over the age cliff, he probably loses playing time down the stretch. And I, I kind of feel like that's probably what happens. He's not going to earn a massive number of volume. Um, so I have him sort of right on par with Chark as the leaders. And then I have Marshall right there with Mingo and Hayden Hurst all at around 11 or 12%. And then Chenault at 7, Miles Sanders at 8. So th- those guys are sort of the next group. But, yeah, I, I have basically four receivers in the 11% to 16% range. I don't think I have another team where I would have four like that. And that's me pushing Marshall, basically, because I think anyone doing a normal projection on this and also obviously looking at ADP, Thielen, Mingo, and Chark are the guys that have the real ADPs. They're the ones that probably draw the most target volume for people who are looking at the market and are thinking through um, how to split this out. And then Marshall kind of is the number four. And so having Marshall at you know 11% targets, it, I would say is an aggressive – I'm with you on that take of Marshall on the 18th. I mean, that's like – sort of where I've wanted to lean as well as I was doing this projection, but not really in a, in a, in a projection standpoint, not really being willing to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to project him for 15% of the targets for the full season. But certainly my numbers on him will come out above 18th round wide receiver, you know, production. If you look at it from that perspective and, and my numbers on a guy like Thielen are going to come out well below even his ADP, which isn't high, but even, you know, even his, you know, modest ADP because I'm, I'm not projecting him for just a bunch of volume, which I think is the thing that is probably propping up his ADP. Cause if you look at the profile, you look at the production, it's really scary. You're, you're bang, basically just banking on, Oh, he reverses, you know, this age cliff trend, which people bank on that a lot more than it actually happens. Let's put it that way. I'm not, I'm not saying we're sure of any of this, right, Sean, we're always talking about uncertainty in these things. I love the way you put it that like there are paths. There are some interesting paths. I just wish there was something better to bet on here, but I do like the Marshall play. I think that's really interesting. Let's jump over to uh, Houston as the third one we kind of want to talk about. Yeah, we haven't given ourselves a ton of time here. We really yeah. enjoy talking about the first two. But when I'm looking at this Texans offense with Stroud, and then again, it's kind of a lot of guys, and maybe you would say that these guys have – a higher median, but you might even argue that they have lower ceilings than the receivers in the Panthers. If the Panthers' best case scenarios hit, maybe there's something. If the Texans' best case scenarios hit, are we still kind of at nothing? Well, Nico Collins jumped from about a 16% target round to about 22% in his second year. Yards per target was pretty you know average both years. Uh, but his targets per route run jump did come with a A dot jump as well. So you look at like a weighted targets per route run. Definitely saw a big volume jump in year two, although that didn't necessarily, without like big efficiency, that didn't necessarily make his profile like super exciting. He got up to 1.68 yards per route run. It's fine. It's solid. But he is interesting, at least. John Mechie's a big time unknown, but interesting. I think a little bit interesting, at least. And Dalton Schultz, I think, is more interesting than the comparable veterans for Carolina in that he's been a capable tight end. Having said, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really in on Robert Woods and Noah Brown. I think Tank Dell's being over, overhyped in the sense of, yeah, you know, he looked good at minicamp with Stroud, but 
for as as you noted, like as met as some of these players are, there are still like um, a lot of them. And so it's actually harder for me to imagine Tank Dell like getting into a lot of routes unless he's just like a star star. But probably Nico Collins, John Mechie, Robert Woods, even Noah Brown is going to play some probably. You have more tight end depth. It's not like Dell's like really easy to picture him getting into two or three wide receiver sets right away. Having said all of that, and I do think there are some interesting names here. Maybe Nico's a little bit more interesting than any of the Carolina guys. The thing I found here, a little bit different than the Frank Reich thing, where I talked about a little bit of optimism and play volumes. Okay, we have a defensive coach here. How often do you see a defensive coach immediately be the one that it turns into the Mike McDaniel season last year with Miami, where they're just super exciting from an offensive standpoint? Um, there's a lot of other offensive coaches we've seen do things aggressive early on. We don't often see that from defensive coaches as much as that's hyped and talked about like, oh, yeah, as a defensive minded head coach. We we tend to see defensive minded head coaches run the ball and play defense more. It's just the way that it goes. We don't see these real breakout surprising outcomes in fantasy football from defensive minded head coaches. And when we're talking about trends that you're trying to reverse like rookie QB trends or trying to reverse trends of, hey, there's a reason people don't want to buy into this offense because there's not a lot of talent in this offense. There's not. You know, this is a team that's been bad for a lot of years. If we suddenly want this rookie QB to step in and make this a really fun team for fantasy, play volume, up-tempo, and interesting offensive scheme designs are some of the ways you can get there. And I just look at this and I do the projection. I go, defense have had coach, rookie QB, not a lot of talent. Like, this is not a scenario where I'm expecting a lot of play volume. I can't talk myself into it. I went into this projection similar to the Indianapolis one, expecting this to be kind of a lower play volume projection. And I think I came out of it, whereas in the Annapolis one, I came out of it raising their play volume projection. I think I came out of this one with Houston projected for the fewest plays of any team in the NFL this year per my, you know, per my projections. Cause it just, yeah, they don't look like an offense. That's going to be, yeah, that, I was just confirming that that is true. I have them projected for fewer plays than any other team. They just don't look like an offense with a defensive-minded head coach and all of the other elements that go into it that is likely to really push. And so yeah, even like the, the rest of the division tends to play a little bit slower here compared to, say, Carolina, where maybe they'll get pushed a little bit by you know playing in some dome games in New Orleans. or I mean, obviously Atlanta is a little bit slow-paced. Tampa Bay might be slow-paced this year. Maybe both of these South divisions are going to be boring, but – I just I don't see a lot of scenarios for Houston's offense to suddenly be really fun with this defensive minded head coach. I have to ask you just a, a quick question about Robert Woods. In that here's a guy I think is actually a lot easier to see leading the Texans for me than it is to see Adam Thielen leading the Panthers. Because you have a player where the 2022 production is pretty easy to write off as finishing up the recovery from a serious injury. Now we also have an old player who was never a true star. And so you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be an impact player. I'm not suggesting that, but when you look at yearly cash, I mean, this is a guy, the Texans are going to be paying just under 9 million. And as you described it, they, they don't have much. And what they do have is, kind of blocked by the fact that they're not going to run a lot of plays and they have other mediocre guys. I mean, you'd almost just like it to be a thinner overall group so that you could bet on the players who were there is in terms of the projections. I mean, are you comfortable leaving him very low? Not someone who is going to, I mean, this is going to be a Dalton Schultz. And then if it works, probably a Nico Collins offense, like you said, is Woods going to, more or less neutralize them as even i mean schultz is someone who because of his price which is doable and then the lack of you know again it depends on how many of these guys do factor in but appears not to have a lot of target pressure that then when he falls in drafts which he also does more frequently than maybe some other guys who are more exciting who who aren't going to create an individual drafts that at that point you like to pull the trigger there can we be considering Schultz in drafts or is this really a team where we need to be Damian Pierce and that's it? I'm, I, I'm certainly willing to consider Schultz when I haven't, I mean, particularly when I haven't taken a tight end yet. I was 
sort of out on Schultz in my targets run article at the newsletter in the early off season. I like to write up all the teams and I broke down Dallas and he had already signed. And I said, in that, that his targets per run were not really indicative of like how fantasy relevant he had been. He had been more of like a, a, a big time routes consolidator, running basically all the routes, which not all tight ends do, and sort of having a solid enough targets per run that didn't really look like a huge skill thing, but more so like he just you know fit into a role in an offense and developed a trust with with Dak and seemed like this perfect sort of guy that would would be following along those lines of once he, that guy changes teams, he's probably overvalued at that point. And then we see the production fall off on the new team. We see that over long-term trends, but for Schultz, the price has also fallen off so much that, I mean, his targets part run his ability to earn volume, the things that he did in Dallas, interesting enough that when you can get him even behind that ADP, as you mentioned in some cases, and you maybe have gone, with a, a best ball build where you're going to now need to take three late tight ends, I'd like to take him as the first in that scenario and go, okay, well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of target volume here, and he could be the, the lead target getter. The Wood stuff, very interesting. I, I hadn't really thought through a ton about him his rehab, but, yeah, fell off a lot last year, a lot like Thielen. Going back to his fourth season in 2016, from there through 2021, six seasons, his lowest yards per run was 1.60, traditionally in the 1.7 or higher range, a couple seasons above two. In 2021, he was at 1.74. 2022 fell all the way to 1.14. So a similar cratering as Thielen, targets per run fell three percentage points. Yards per target also fell. Those are the two elements that go into yards per run. So it struggled to earn volume, also struggled to be efficient with the volume earned. Looks similar as an age cliff, but as you noted, maybe easier to write off as a rehab from a serious injury that he was playing through. It's just kind of. And you get a I couple of Malik Willis games in there. <laughs> yeah. A couple of Malik Willis games. I, I'm, I, I'm probably not going to be pulling the trigger on woods a lot, but I do think that's interesting. You also get a cheaper price than Thielen, as you noted. So um, if he can be viable or interesting and they have Nico and Schultz and you can get kind of three met three guys going and Mechie. I mean, we don't really know what to expect out of Mechie, but that could suddenly be something that's sort of interesting as well. But yeah, I, this is an offense that as I went through the projection and with the defensive coach and everything else, the one player I'm kind of vaguely interested in is uh, Devin Singletary at his price. When I get to the zero RB range as like a pretty clear handcuff, I don't think he has a ton of competition. Mike Boone's there, but, well, I was going to ask you, I mean, what did you come down with on these two guys? Were you 60-40 touches in favor of Singletary or 70-30? Between Singletary and Pierce? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not quite that range. I, I, had, I had Pierce for a little bit more. But yeah, no, this is, uh, it'll be interesting. Stroud also, I mean, you know his profile better than mine, but when I was digging, better than me, but when I was digging into his profile an interesting like i was looking at some of uh, pffs numbers and looking at their big time throw and also turnover where they play percentages he tended to have a little bit of a higher a dot than some of the other big name qbs higher rate of big time throws also higher rate of turnover where they play seemed like a more aggressive vertical passer but also some some risk there Uh, i know that he was protected really well at ohio state something else that we've seen in his profile I don't love the idea of a guy who, despite you know clean pockets, he, he took risks but also had a high rate of, of turnover-worthy plays or a reasonably high rate for the for the top quarterbacks. Don't really love that in a situation as a rookie where he might not have as much production and have to get or protection and have to get used to a different game speed while also having you know it might hit him harder if if the protection gap is a lot different than what he had in college. That doesn't mean he can't be good, but it might be. A, you know, a learning curve in year one. It's just another little thing where I'm maybe slightly concerned based on how, how his college career went that he won't be an immediate star, even if he is long-term. So, yeah, I just, I'm, I, I'm not, I didn't come out of my pro- projection very excited about the Texans. And one of the things with Stroud that we have witnessed with Justin Fields and certainly the Alabama QBs is not that they were necessarily hugely overhyped because of the weapons they had in college because it looks like the majority of those players are going to hit but that maybe there was an adjustment period because 
as weird as this is to say, not only were their weapons in college better than their weapons at the NFL level, but significantly better. And so, I mean, that's something Stroud is going to have to adjust to. I mean, he's also a guy where if you don't get a cheap shot in the CFB semis, you know, he's very possibly coming to the NFL as a national champion. So I'm rooting for the Texans to be more interesting than they've been recently. There are still some holes, but it's been really fun to go through this exercise and look at these rookie QBs within the context of projections to think about the range of outcomes and to look at, even if we're not playing these offenses in a big way where there might be a player here or a player there who is worth a shot at a certain price in best ball. Definitely. Yeah. These are, I mean, these could be defining offenses for the the 2023 season. I mean, we know that about any offense, you know, significantly underpriced. If there's, uh, if you just think about scenarios where the Panthers or the Texans, for example, are uh, good offenses, above average offenses, then there's immediately going to be players within those offenses that are really hitting in a big way. So, yeah, definitely an exercise worth doing. So that'll take us to the end of Stealing Bananas for today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you can sign up for Stealing Lines. If you're listening to this and you know don't want to use the internet, <laughs> you can also click on those links from the article page that we'll put out for the show. We'd love to have you guys join us over at Rotoviz. Using coupon code RVRADIO2023, get that 10% discount on a one-year subscription. We talked about some plays today in Underdog. If you want to join us over there, use the code ROTOVIZ, 100% deposit match up to $100. You guys have been awesome about leaving us ratings and reviews. Those really help. You can also subscribe over at YouTube. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.